Uh, Today, we are going to continue our study as we look at various heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. And today's hero is a a little-known character. Maybe many of you have never even read about her. One One of the two women in the Bible who has a book named after her. It's a woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth like really the rest of our heroes, is another unlikely hero. Ruth was a a foreigner, a Moabitess, someone who really had no connection to Israel or the people of God, except through marriage in a series of unique events. The book of Ruth is just four short chapters, but it is a beautiful story of love and redemption. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're reading the Bible just simply for literature's sake, which I don't know what, why you'd want to do that because it's, it's truth, it's God's message to us. But even if you just simply are reading the Bible for literature's sake, the book of Ruth is a beautiful short story of God's love and, and of love towards one another. And This is, if you, if you can find it, it's nestled between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So that sets the context for what's going on here. It tells you it's during the time of Judges. If you know the, the, the book of Judges, or if you don't know it, let me summarize it really briefly. The book of Judges is about the nation of Israel disobeying. God saying, you better knock it off, or bad things are going to happen. They didn't knock it off, so bad things happened. Nations came in, conquered, ruled uh, with an iron fist. And so then they would repent and say, God, we're really sorry. We don't, we don't want to do this anymore. And so God would send a judge in to help rescue them. And then there'd be a period where they were doing okay, but then they'd fall right back into it. And just that repeating cycle over and over and over of disobedience, punishment, restoration, disobedience, punishment. And so during that time, during that time period... There's, there's the snapshot of this family. And it starts out by telling us, as we continue verse 1, that a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But a Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women were left without... So that the woman, meaning Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. So immediately the story begins in a rather depressing and an ominous tone. They have to leave their homeland, or they choose to leave their homeland because of famine. Very possibly this is tied to some of the punishment that God was exacting on Israel for their disobedience. That was promised in, in, uh, in Leviticus. That if the, if the children of Israel were going to walk away from the Lord, there were going to be ensuing punishments. And one of those that was promised was famine. And so here we, we find that. So he leaves his homeland to go to Moab to try to make a, make a life for himself and try to find food to eat. Unfortunately, both he and his two sons pass away. And Naomi 
is left alone with two daughters-in-law that she barely knows. As we take a look at this book today, there are several different ways that we could approach it. We could talk about God's sovereignty again, like we did last week with Joseph, because as you, as you see how God is going to sovereignly orchestrate events and bring people together, you can't but mistake that God is at work behind the scenes here, saving his people. In doing the work of redemption. You could talk about God's faithfulness, even in the, the face of disobedience. But we're going to look at it, and, and the title this morning refre- reflects, Living and Receiving the Kindness of God. We are going to see the kindness of others demonstrated in the life of Naomi and Ruth and a man named Boaz. And then we're going to talk about the kindness of God. But first, first of all, as we think about the kindness of others... We first of all think about this young woman named Ruth and the kindness she shows Naomi. Look at verse 6. It says, Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard the fields in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So the, the local gossip, while she's out there working in the fields, people are whispering, and did you say they said, Hey, did you hear the famines over in our neighbors over in Israel? And so verse 7 says, She set out from the place where she was with with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They turned to her, No, we will return with you and your people. But Naomi said, No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. You see what's happened there? Ruth is getting ready to go back, and she wants her two daughter-in-laws to stay. Go make a life for yourself. I've got nothing. She she says, things have become very bitter for me. I, I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have any security or protection. And often the custom was is that if if a if a if a husband were to die, then, then one of the brothers was to take that woman to be his wife. And she said, I, I don't have any other sons. They're gone. Even if, I, even if I wasn't too old to have more kids, are you going to wait for them? Even if I gave birth right now, are you going to wait another 20 years to, to marry them? No, go make a life for yourself. Start over. Leave me. And so Orpah stayed home, but it says Ruth clung to her. Ruth showed kindness and love for Naomi, her mother-in-law. You see, Ruth had every reason to stay, as far as I can see. This was her homeland. 
Her family was here. Everything she held dear, everything she was comfortable with. She knew no one in Bethlehem. She was an outsider. Have you ever been to a place, maybe, maybe even moved to a place where you knew no one? You, you, were an, you were an outsider there? It was a strange land. <laughs> Lisa and I were at a, a wedding in Canada last night. And uh, even though um, they're, they're just across the border, there, there are still things that are a bit weird as far as I'm concerned there. The, 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 the signs are different. Everything's in, in French too. And, and uh, I was pretty excited though because I was, I was driving. Uh, we, were, we were trying to hurry and get to the wedding on time and, and uh, I saw a speed limit. It said 70 and I thought, that's pretty cool that I can go 70 here in this residential area. And uh, my wife had to remind me that's kilometers, not miles an hour. Uh, things are different, e- even, if, even though they're, they're right next door. This was totally different for Ruth. This was, she would have been totally out of place, a, a, a complete foreigner. She had every reason to stay. But she clung to Naomi. For whatever reason, maybe they just developed a good bond. Maybe she saw how much Naomi was hurting and knew that she needed someone to walk through her pain and her sorrow who understood what she was going through. But I think that it's even more than that because her loyalty was not just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. If you noticed, she said in verse 16, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. You see, at some point during this time, she chose to leave the gods of her homeland. And the gods of Moab, their, their, their idol worship was, was intense. I mean, it involved child sacrifice. It was, there was all kinds of wicked practices. And she turned away from that, and she embraced the living God. And I think that's pretty amazing as you see someone who comes to Christ when they don't just embrace God, but it also says that, she says, your people will be my people. She embraced not only the God of Naomi, but the people of Naomi. When we become a Christian, when God changes our hearts, we don't simply just become committed to God. We also need to be committed to the people of God. Sometimes our culture, even our church culture, puts forward a notion of personal faith or a private faith. That, that my, my relationship is just between me and Jesus. I challenge you, read through, go to the New Testament, read through the book of Acts and see if you see any notion of a, a private faith. When someone became committed to God, they also became committed to the people of God and they walked together as community. And so Ruth, as she chose to follow God, it meant following Naomi to her homeland, to her people. So she set out. So we see not only the kindness of Ruth, but also the kindness of a man named Boaz that we're going to meet here in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we, uh, we, actually we discover in verse 22 of chapter 1 that they return right at the beginning of the barley harvest. This was an important time in Palestine. For those of us who are kind of divorced from our food processing uh, and we just go to, the, go to the, the grocery store, we don't always appreciate all the work and sacrifice that goes in to reaping a harvest. And especially in a land where there weren't grocery stores, where you depended on the harvest for your livelihood and for your, your food. 
the harvest was a celebration time. If it was a good harvest, it meant that you could live another year. It meant that you had food to eat, that you weren't going to starve. And especially coming through a famine, this was a great time of celebration, an important time in their culture. Well, one of the, one of the traditions... More than a tradition, it was a command. You can, we won't read it, but you can find it in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. There was a, a command that often got forgotten. But the people of Israel, as they celebrated the harvest, as they were gleaning the fields, they were to leave some behind, laying on the ground, so that those who didn't have much could come behind and glean behind them. So widows and, and the poor were allowed to have food. Just as a sidebar, I, uh, nobody can consults me on, on domestic policy in this nation or anything, but what an interesting concept that even, even the, um, the opportunity to help out the poor involved them doing work for what they got. It wasn't just a handout. There was still work. They had to go out to the fields and get it. Even though, even though the landowners were committed to, to give a little bit and leave some behind, they still had to go and do the work themselves to, to pick it up. I think that's interesting and maybe a, a good policy uh, to follow. But as, as Ruth and Naomi sit together, Ruth says, I'm going to go out and check out this field this one owned by a, a man named Boaz. She didn't know anything about Boaz. She, she, maybe she just heard that, that they were extra generous there or there was a lot of land and there was a lot of food to be had. So um, uh, in verse 2, Naomi says, head on out. So verse 3 says, she says she went out and, and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. So again, a name we recognize from chapter 1, a relative of Naomi's husband. And Boaz, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is, a young, is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so we see that Boaz, already as he walks up, that he's, he's a man who's involved in the lives of his workers. He's a friendly man. And he, he greets them and welcomes them. And they do the same. And he, and he sees Ruth out there and someone he doesn't recognize. Remember, it's a, it's a small community. Bethlehem is not a thriving metropolis. It would have been a very small community. Everybody knew each other. And so as soon as he said, oh, he, she's the foreigner who came back with Naomi, Boaz would have said, okay, I, I remember hearing about that. Okay. And so he, um, in his kindness, he, um, he says in verse, uh, uh, verse 8, it says, Boaz said to Ruth, so he, he went and found her, sat down and talked to her. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And so he graciously says, I want you to know, I want you to stay here, hang out. I want you to make sure that you've got plenty to drink. She may not have had much in way of provisions. She may not have had a lunch with her or anything to drink. And he says, I want you to make sure that we're taken care of. I've told everybody to, to leave you alone, not to bug you or harass you at all. You can have what you want. 
And uh, it says in verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? I love Ruth's response because it reminds us that as God shows us kindness, we shouldn't just take it for granted. Some of us do, you know, when, when God's grace comes in our life. When we sit down and we have enough food to eat and we just begin by digging in. When we have the air conditioning blaring in our car on a, on a hot, steamy day like today, we, we take some of these things for granted. But God in His, His goodness shows us grace each and every day, even when we don't have our eyes open to us. And, and, and Ruth has a great response when she is shown kindness. She recognizes that she's not deserving as a foreigner. Normally foreigners aren't treated that well. In verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 2 says, Then Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and your native land and came, father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Mm, I love that verse. You see, Ruth understood that she couldn't handle her circumstances on her own. She couldn't handle the loneliness. She couldn't handle the the sorrow. She couldn't handle her financial situation and her economic situation. And she knew she needed to take refuge in God. And that's what she did. And she did it in such a way that other people knew how she was responding to God. I want to ask you today, are, are you taking refuge in God? Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, is he, is he your place of cover? I don't know if you got caught in the rainstorm the other night, but uh, I, I had to run out to the truck and I had Owen in my arms, and he loves it when it's raining. I'll, I'll tell him, uh, uh-oh, Owen, it's raining. And I got to get to the truck and I don't want to get wet, so I need my Owen umbrella. And I'll hold him up above my head and run to the car. And he just squeals with delight. He's like, do it again, do it again. And I'm like, this is kind of great. I wonder how long this will last before he's like, knock it off, knock it off. <laughs> or my turn. Yeah, it'll be a few years. <laughs> Sometimes we're in places where we physically need refuge. But all of us need to find spiritual refuge in God. And that's what Ruth had done. And the, and the word had spread that she had done so. And, and Boaz showed her kindness. He welcomed this outsider, this foreigner. Someone he could have easily said, Ugh, fine, she can have some stuff from the field, but just, just let her be, you know, leave her alone. But instead he took care of her. He fed her. He gave her a meal, gave her water, took her in. And helped her, made sure that she had plenty. In fact, he even told some of his workers, hey, leave a little extra. I want you to drop a little bit more along the way so that she's well taken care of. I wonder if we're like that. I wonder if we welcome outsiders. Those who maybe don't fit into our, our bubble or our circle of friends. You know, as Steve mentioned earlier, there are a lot of people you might look around and, and not, not recognize People who are maybe visiting or maybe they, they normally come to another service and you see them here. Don't, don't be afraid to step out of your zone. And I know, I know what it's like to be an introvert. For those of you who it's difficult to, to, to do that. But trust God and, and be brave and, and, and welcome somebody new. Put your arm around somebody who looks like they need a friend. 
It's exactly what Boaz did. In his kindness, he welcomed someone who could have easily become a poor outcast, relegated to the fringes of society. He welcomed in and, and gave shelter. And then finally, I also want us to see the kindness of Naomi. The kindness of Naomi. At the end of chapter 2, verse 23, um, Naomi said, or it says, So she kept close to the young women. Again, this is speaking of Ruth, I'm sorry. Uh, Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So first of all, Naomi showed kindness in giving, a Ruth, giving Ruth a place to live. She welcomed her as part of the family. She was an extended family, but she was part of, part of Naomi's family. But then as he turned into chapter 3, I love this. It says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whom the the young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you said, I will do. You see what Naomi's doing here? She's playing matchmaker. (laughs) She's meddling a little bit in her daughter-in-law's life. She's like, haven't you noticed that Boaz pays a little bit of attention to you? Come on, come on, take the blinders off, Ruth. He's got a thing for you. So let's, I want you to be a little proactive here. Let's not sit back and wait for him to make his move. I want you to go down and meet him at at the threshing floor. Naomi is playing a little bit of the role of the meddling mother-in-law. But let's cut her a little bit of slack here because I believe she's doing it out of love. See, she knows that, that two widows living together, they're, they're making it, they're, they're getting by. But it's not a good situation. And furthermore, they have no one to carry on the family name. Naomi wants to see Ruth be able to have some security, to be able to settle down and pray that God gives her offspring that will not only bless Naomi, but of course would bless Boaz and Ruth. (laughs) And so she seeks to find a future for her. How about you? Are you someone who goes out of your way to demonstrate kindness towards those around you? God's given us people in our family, the people that we rub shoulders with the most. Your, your spouse, when was the last time you sat down and thought, I wonder what the most meaningful thing I could do for him or her today is. I wonder what would be the kindest thing I could do for my children today. I wonder what I could do to cheer up my co-worker's day. Taking time to go out of your way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God wants us to be the kind of people who demonstrate the kindness that he shows towards us. Mamie Adams always went to a branch post office in her town because the postal employees were so friendly. She went there to buy stamps one day just before Christmas and the lines were particularly long. All she needed was stamps And someone pointed out that there was no need to wait in line because there was a stamp machine right there in the lobby. Her reply was, I know, but the machine won't ask about my arthritis. (laughs) Some of us are just looking 
so desperately for someone to show kindness toward us, for someone to come along and say, how are you? No, really, how are you doing? Are you that person for someone? Do you enter into anyone's life and maybe get a little bit nosy like Naomi was doing to find out how how you can help, how you can love, and how you can show God's kindness? We see God's kindness demonstrated from Ruth, from Boaz, and from Naomi. But more important than human kindness in this story, I believe, is the kindness of God. The kindness of God. See, at the end of chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi, it says, said to her daughter-in-law, May he, speaking of Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has uh, not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. There is a tradition in the culture that if a relative passed away, the dead man's widow, uh, and the dead man's widow was childless, then a kinsman redeemer was to marry her. Often it was a brother, but it could, could have been someone further on the family line. Apparently Elimelech did not have a brother, or uh, he was not in the area at this point. And so, so they looked, and they realized that Boaz was that kinsman. If you want to read about that tradition, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 7. The word redeem means to set free by paying a price. It's an important theme here in the book of Ruth. In fact, the words for redeem, redemption, or redeemer occur 23 times in just these 85 verses of Ruth. The essence of redemption is a reversal. The reversal of a bad situation at the expense of a redeemer. And so in God's kindness, he sends the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer to give Ruth a new life. (coughs) So in chapter 4, I I should summarize what happened in chapter 3. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and met Boaz uh, and laid down at his feet after he had fallen asleep. And he awoke and saw her there. And he realized through that act what she was trying to communicate. That, hey, I am a relative of yours and I would be honored if you would redeem me, if you would enter into this, this biblical tradition that was given to us by Moses. And so, he tells her at the end of the chapter, go home, and in verse 18, Ruth goes back to her mother-in-law, and Naomi replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So chapter 14 tells us about Boaz going to the city gates where business was conducted, and he was ready to be dealt with. See, there was another relative who was a closer relative who technically had first dibs, so to speak, to marry Ruth. But once he realized all that was involved, in fact, it says in verse... Um, um, uh, let's see here, chapter 4, verse, uh, verse uh, 3... 
He tell, uh, Boaz meets with the, the closer relative. He says, Naomi, who's come back for the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. And if there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. So Naomi was getting rid of a piece of land, and Boaz says, well, you have first dibs as the nearest relative. If you don't want it, I'd like to buy it. And the guy said, well, land? Sure, I'll I'll snatch that up. But I love how Boaz proposes this. In verse 5, he says, well, just so you know, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. (laughs) You, you, You get another wife thrown in the deal. (laughs) And immediately the guy started backpedaling because he had other kids, other the inheritance and the family situation was all set up and orchestrated. And that's is an important, important thing in their culture. And he realized by taking another widow and possibly having children with her, it would, it would totally mess up how he was going to divvy out his inheritance and the inheritance of his children. Not to mention adding another wife. And the, Well, we talked about the difficulties that come with that a few weeks ago. And so uh, immediately he says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take... My right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so Boaz had him, and he knew that he would probably respond that way. And so he was all set to be in line to take Ruth. Skip down to verse 14. It says, And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. See, these women... Had they had good theology, they knew that it was the Lord who was going to take care of Naomi and Ruth. They knew that it was his sovereign hand who brought all this together, who orchestrated this unlikely marriage, this unlikely union, this unlikely redemption. So God in his kindness sent a kinsman redeemer to provide Ruth a husband, a, a security, and a future. And in his kindness, he sent to us, Jesus the Redeemer. You see, the Lord has not left us this day without a Redeemer either. The Lord took care of Ruth and provided a redemption for her. But see, that only took care of her her physically and, and emotionally. But it didn't take care of her spiritual needs. See, we're in desperate need of redemption. The Bible says that we are caught in our trespasses and sins and a price had to be paid. One, one had to stand in our place, a perfect spotless lamb, a substitute. And that man was Jesus Christ. God is pictured in the Bible as a redeemer. Isaiah 47, 4 says, Our redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 19.14 says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our God is the God who rescues those who can't rescue themselves. Our God is the one who comes in and, and saves those who are lost and drowning and without hope, without any recourse. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your redeemer, Maybe you think that that you've got things fine on your own. You're not drowning, but you you can trust that you're you're strong enough to swim to shore. 
that you're not lost in the darkness, that somewhere along the line you'll find a flashlight and you'll be able to see your way out. The Bible says the thing, the thing is, is that our lossless, lostness cannot be taken care of on our own. We need rescuing. And so Jesus Christ becomes the great rescuer, the great redeemer. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption. And it comes only through his blood, the blood that was shed on Calvary, And through his blood, we receive the forgiveness of our trespasses. See, it wasn't just anyone who could be Ruth's redeemer. It had to be a relative. It had to be someone who was was her kin. And in the same way, Jesus came down and, and became like us. He took on flesh and blood. He became our kin. Ruth's redeemer had to be willing. The first man wasn't. It was going to be too inconvenient for him. It was going to change his lifestyle. There needed to be a willing redeemer. The Bible says that Jesus came. And like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. He didn't fight. He didn't go kicking and screaming. He wasn't shaking his fist at the Father. Why did you make me do this? But he came and he willingly laid his life down. And in the story of Ruth, the the kinsman had to be willing to pay a price. It was going to cost him financially. There was a sacrifice there. And Jesus came and paid the ultimate price. He gave his life. So this story doesn't become just a beautiful story in in and of itself, which it is. It's a beautiful story standing alone, but it becomes a great picture of God's grace and the redemption of his people. And even more than that, I want you to just see the end as we close here. And these, these final, the final genealogy, which if you're like me, it's easy to just skim through that. I'll, I'll just be honest. When I'm, when I'm reading genealogies, I'm like, okay, let's get, where's the, where's the story pick back up again? We don't want to skip over this genealogy at the end of this chapter. It says in verse 17, uh, uh, let's see, uh, 16. Then they, uh, wait, I've got to get to the birth here. Where do, um, uh, verse 15, and he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So Ruth had a child and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. It doesn't happen anymore. The community names your child. Probably glad for that. Obed means, Obed means servant. It says he was the father of Jesse, the father of who? David. So this foreign woman, this outcast, this, this person who was at a point in life where it seemed like her life had fallen apart. She couldn't have children. Her husband dies. She, she goes to a land where she knows absolutely no one, has no friends, no economic means of supporting herself, no home except to live with her mother-in-law. What seems like a life that's just going to be, just drift away into obscurity, is used by God to bring the Redeemer into the world. Ruth the Redeemer, the relative, Ruth the Redeemed, 
the relative of the Redeemer. She becomes one of only four or five women that are listed in the lineage of Christ. She's the grandmother, or great-grandmother of King David. And this great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of the King of Kings, the one who would be born in the same town that she was living in, and the one who would redeem us from our sins. As we reflect on this story, I hope that your heart is filled with worship and wonder at the God who redeems. And I hope that you're encouraged and maybe spurred on by the kindness that is demonstrated by all the characters in this story. Maybe God is even placing someone on your heart right now and something to do for them to demonstrate the kindness. Just a little glimpse of the great kindness he has shown to you and to me. Let's pray. God, we are a people this morning undeserving of your great grace and your kindness. Just like Ruth, nobody owed her anything. No one one said that she deserved this or that. But in your great love and your great protection, you provided for her. You, You continued the Davidic line and the line that one day would produce the Messiah. God, as we read a story like this, may our hearts be encouraged that you're at work behind the scenes when we can't see it and that you're a God who cares about redemption. I pray that we would seek to to share with others about the one who has redeemed us from all our iniquities, who has saved us from our sins and who has given us a true and living hope. And may we seek to show that kindness and that grace towards those you bring into our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.